Welcome to Vertical. For those that don't know me, my name is Dale Wallace. I'm the executive director of Vertical Ministries, and uh, I just have kind of a weird question. We have anybody that's new tonight? Anybody never been to Vertical before? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Glad you're here. Okay, all two of you. Good. So good. I understand it's the end of the year. There you go. Hey, so my senior year of college, I was in a leadership class, and uh, we had this assignment at, in this class where we were uh, supposed to talk about leadership. It was called a leadership credo. It's like a leadership speech. And so this was my senior year. I think I already said that, but that's fine. We'll move past that. And uh, so it's senior year. I'm giving this speech in this leadership class. And for whatever reason, I had this lapse of judgment. And it really wasn't, uh, I actually, I would say to this day, I made a leadership mistake. I was, I was giving this speech And I just got in front of a class and I started taking darts and just throwing them at all the people in the class. There's about 40 people in this classroom. um, And in fact, uh, three of the people in the classroom were the then president of the university, uh, president or judge Ken Starr, uh, vice president of student life, Dr. Kevin Jackson. And then uh, the third was Professor uh, Jeffrey Dale Reeder, um, who also was a regent. And so those are the three people that would teach the class. And so I start throwing darts at all the students in the class, obviously forgetting that there was adults in the class. And um, one, a few of the things I said, I'll just give you a glimpse. I want you to know this isn't a representation of the way I feel today. It's just for clarity, times have changed. But for whatever reason, I had uh, some beef with CLs. And I don't know if you know what CLs stand for. It's community leader. And so I was there and I was like, you know what? All you CLs, you think you're leaders because it says leadership in your name. You're not one. Just because it says leadership in your name, for whatever reason, I had some beef with CLs. And then, uh, and then the next thing was that like all of the student government was in that class. It's, it, and so um, I was like, you know what, student government, you think because you've been elected that you're a leader. You also have a title. Doesn't mean you're a leader. And so I'm calling out all these people. And, and I'll just, let me just pause and reflect uh, slightly. I probably had beef with CLs because I once upon a time tried to be a CL and I didn't make it, didn't make the cut, and uh, Baylor wouldn't, wouldn't hire me to be a CL, which is ironic, because they wouldn't put me in charge of like 10 people in a hallway, but here I am before you. Anyways, that's beside the point. Uh, that's the CL thing. That might have been my beef with CLs. And then the student government thing, I, I like really wanted to run for student body president. I don't know if any of you want to do that. If you do, that's awesome. Uh, student body president is such a cool opportunity, such a cool position, and I really wanted to do that. Little known fact, there's a rule. You have to serve in student government at least a year in order to, to run for student body president. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, somebody can fact check me. But at the time, that, that's what it was. And so I was just frustrated that I couldn't run for student body president. So again, maybe that's why I was throwing darts. I don't know. Uh, and really what was interesting is all of them were in the class because they had leadership positions. And I didn't have a leadership position. I rode the coattails of uh, somebody's dad. My friend's dad got me in the class. So I really didn't have the position or I really shouldn't have been throwing these darts. But for whatever reason, I was like, you know what? It's senior year. Let it fly. Like, it ain't no problem. (laughs) I won't see these people ever again. It doesn't matter. And so... Um, what ended up happening after class is uh, the professor, uh, the vice president of student life kind of, you know, slides me a note on my desk and he's like, hey, we're going to meet. We had something to talk about. Obviously, you have some issues. And I was like, yeah, I should probably see a doctor, not necessarily, you know, whatever. And so, uh, so I go visit with him. This is, again, senior year. So I visit with him and he's like, Dale, I, 
I, he's so kind. Uh, Dr. Jackson, he's still here, such an incredible leader. And he's like, Dale, that was so passionate and so good, but that was inappropriate. The way you went about that, I just want to encourage you. I don't think that's the best way to go about that. And so Dr. Jackson kindly corrected me. He, he kindly course corrected me. And, and I start with that story tonight because what I think we're going to see from Scripture is as we continue in this series called Everyday Leadership, I want us to get, take away one point. And it's that leaders constantly course correct. Leaders constantly course correct. Whether it be themselves or others, leaders constantly course correct. And I think Dr. Jackson did an incredible job of handling young Buck Dale and just saying, hey, let me just correct you. I don't think that was the best way to do that. And so we're going to look at at what the Bible has to say about constantly course correcting. And this idea of course correcting uh, really was on my mind even more this week than ever before because I was flying. And I don't know if you know much about flying, but there is a statistic about flying. And I couldn't tell. I I tried to Google it. I couldn't tell if it was true or not. But there's this idea that 99% of your flight, you are not going the right way. 99% of all flights, you're going the wrong way. And the reason why I say that is, and the reason why people believe this and say this is because the majority of the time, because of weather and circumstances and all these different things that are going on in the cockpit, the the pilot is constantly course correcting in order to get to a destination. The story famously is said that if you are trying to fly from JFK to LAX and you're one degree off, you'll land 50 miles away from LAX. You won't land anywhere near it. Just one degree and you'll land 50 miles away. You'll miss your destination by by that much. And so uh, I I love this idea of course correcting. And in fact, you know course correcting. I'm actually surprised this many of you are here tonight because when it comes to course correcting, at this point in your semester, you have probably taken out a sheet of paper and you have put your different grades for each class, right? Right? You're like, okay, I got a C in this one. It's been a tough semester. B plus in this one, easier class. You know, whatever. All these different things. You've put your, you've put your letter grades. You've tried to figure out, you know, what the number system is now based on that. If you have an A minus, which is from Satan, I know. Um, shouldn't be a thing. You're going to hate this, but I didn't have A minuses. We didn't have the minuses when I was here. And so... Um, Envy me, I don't care. Uh, and so all this, all this is going on, and you've, you've sat down and looked at your grades. And you've thought, man, this is where I'm going, and this is where my parents want me to go. And so I'm going to course correct, and i got to make 120 to get the grades that my parents want. <laughs> and so that's what course correcting is, right? You're like, this is exactly what I'm doing this week because this is the first time I've looked at my grades. And you have like, it's crazy. I understand like you have 60% of your entire course is about to happen in the next two weeks for some of you. So this is a cool opportunity for course correction. But it's also an opportunity to continue to go the wrong direction. But anyways, that's beside the point. I'm glad you're here. That being said. And we're going to look. Again, I promise we're going to open the Bible. And uh, we're going to be in First Timothy. But before we do, uh, Hayden prayed. I'm going to pray again. Because prayer isn't a transition. It's never meant to be a transition. And so let's pray as before, just before we open up God's word. Lord, we come to you humbly on a Monday and we ask that you would surprise us 
Lord, we ask through the power of your spirit that there would be fruit that comes from this. Lord, I pray for um, the students that are in here that are very, very worried and anxious as Hayden even prayed and mentioned, Lord, I pray that you would give them peace. Your word says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus, we're coming before you and we're asking that you would give us rest. Would you bless this time? And students, I'm gonna ask for you to pray in the quietness of your own heart. Just pray to yourself. Ask that the Lord, uh, that God, the creator of the universe, that he would speak to you through the power of his word and that your spirit, that the spirit would bring conviction upon you. Would you pray that? And then would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would abide in Jesus, that be connected to the vine so we could bear spiritual fruit? This time wouldn't be wasted because I get in the way. Would you pray that I would abide? Jesus, we pray this expectantly. We ask that you would work, that you would move. Would you teach us? Would you show us course correction? What are the course corrections we need from tonight? Thank you for your graciousness to give us course corrections. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I've already said that leaders constantly course correct. We're going to look at three things that leaders have to do in order to course correct. And the three things are you have to know the goal. You have to know yourself. And you have to know it's war. It's a spiritual leadership. But I will say, if you're not a Christian and somebody dragged you here, uh, I'm glad you're here. And uh, also, it, you could use these principles. If you know the goal, you know yourself. And instead of saying, no, it's war, you could just say, know the barriers. And this could be useful in any circumstance of leadership that you have. And so we're going to be in First Timothy 1, as I said earlier. Let's start reading. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of G- and Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's stop right there. So what you need to know about, about 1 Timothy is that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. It's like his little bro in the faith. They're like really close, you know, discipleship, things like that. And so uh, Paul is writing this to him. And what you'll see in verse three, just very briefly, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. So really what you need to know is that everything that Paul is about to say to Timothy He's already told Timothy. He's just kind of like reminding him. You know, so in fact, this is probably good because we, we get annoyed by reminders when our parents give them to us. This is a good thing for us to be reminded that reminders are helpful. So that's what Paul is doing to Timothy as he's, as he's sending him this letter. And what he's doing is he's, he's sending Timothy a letter about leadership. He's going he's gonna to talk about all sorts of things throughout the letter, qualifications for leader, all these different things. He's, in fact, going to write multiple letters, and he's just going to, to encourage him. Like, this is what leadership looks like in the church. This is what it looks like, Timothy. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And so uh, we're going to pick up in verse 3. We're going to continue. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. 
The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying. Or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. So what you need to know is that Paul is writing to Timothy. There's these false teachers that have, that have risen up against Timothy. And what's crazy is this, is, this might come as a surprise to you, but based on, on the passage and really based on the entire letter, it's most likely that these false teachers are elders of the church. It's very likely that these false teachers are coming from within. And so Paul is, is telling Timothy, uh, be careful. Beware of the false teachers that are going to play around with myths and genealogies and create speculation. And in fact, they're going to use the law to do it by using it wrongfully. That's why it talks about the law in verses 8 through 11 here. Paul is telling Timothy, they misuse the law. They don't use it rightly. They do these things and and the law in this case would be the Old Testament. And Paul is telling Timothy, hey, don't just get fooled by these, these myths and genealogies and, you know, talking about aliens and things like that. You know, that's, that's what he's saying. It's like, don't get caught off guard by that. They're swerving from the goal, and the goal is in verse 5. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Verse 6, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered into vain discussion. So Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, beware of the false teachers. Know the goal. Know the aim. The aim is love. So the first thing I said when it comes to constantly course correcting, if you're going to course correct, you have to know the goal. If you're going to course correct, you have to know the goal. The goal here for Christians is love. We're going to take a quick side note. I want you to know that leaders listen. Just total free of charge. You can go ahead and write that down because that's what leaders do. They listen, okay? Leaders listen. Timothy is willing to receive from Paul this advice to beware of false teachers, to keep the aim and the charge, which is love, And so they take feedback. They're constantly aware. I I like to tell my team, hey, leaders eat feedback for breakfast. It's how we grow. But let me just ask you a question. Can I give you some feedback? Yes, thank you for answering that. I'm going to do that because she said yes. I'm going to give you feedback. When Paul tells Timothy, the aim, the goal is love. My piece of feedback for you and for me is that I think sometimes we forget the goal is love. Like, just think about how you would describe your life right now. 
this semester, maybe even this week. Ask yourself, how would you describe your life? Stressed? Maybe you've been social. Maybe it's been good. You've been caring. You've had fun. Like, would the word loving come to mind? So I give you feedback that I even, I even would give myself. I don't think very often we remember that the goal is love and it comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. I love what Andy Stanley says about um, this along these lines. He says, direction, not intention, leads to the destination. Direction, not intention, leads to the destination. And the reason why I quote Andy Stanley on this is because I think a lot of us intend on loving. We're like, yeah, we're loving. Yeah, Christians, yeah, go to Baylor, whatever, right? We're loving. It's our intention in everything we do. Like, we, we don't intend poorly, right? But it's direction, not intention. It's knowing the aim, knowing the goal. So we must quit intending to love and start actually loving just as Christ has loved us. We must know the goal. If you don't know what love is, read 1 Corinthians 13. And it's not blind acceptance. In fact, later on in this passage, Paul goes on to remove these false teachers. These people are removed from the church. And you're like, wait, that's not very loving. It is loving. Because love and living according to God's design go hand in hand. Love and living according to God's design go hand in hand. And so we must know the goal. The goal is love. Let's just think about the goal. Let's, if the goal of vertical were to fill Waco Hall every week, what would we do? If I was in charge of vertical and the goal were simply to fill seats, I'd bring Justin Timberlake every stinking week, right? You'd show up, that's for sure. I'd show up, I'd be on the front row. That's not the goal. It's not simply just to fill seats. If your goal as a leader is just to make bukus of money one day, go sell your soul to a vocation. You can probably do that. You can probably figure it out. That might work. If that's the goal, go do that. You have to know your goal. So what's your goal as a student? It's a unique season of life. What's your goal? I would suggest it's love. To know him, make him known, love him, love others, whatever way you want to put it. Let's just think about the goal of Christianity briefly. If it's the Great Commission, evangelism and discipleship. To make disciples of all the nations, to reach people. Again, love him and love others. Know him, make him known. Whatever it is, if that's the goal, I just want to ask you a simple question. How are you doing in achieving that goal? Who have you led to Christ? If that's the most loving thing you can do, is to show somebody where life is. And the goal is love, then why aren't we doing it? I think it's a simple start. 
But that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Saying the aim, the goal is love. So as leaders constantly course correct, we must first know the goal. Let's keep reading. So we see the second point. I thank him who has given me strength. Who is this that's giving him strength? Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It means so be it. I've always wondered what that meant. We say it all the time. Paul is saying, for those in Christ, he's thanking God for giving him strength. Paul is exemplifying a few different things to Timothy here. Our point, our overarching point is that you must know yourself. First, I I said that in order to course correct, you have to know the goal, you have to know the aim, you have to know the destination. The second thing you have to know is yourself. Because Paul knows himself. He knows he's not his own strength. The first, first words in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, the Lord. For those in Christ, we must know our strength comes from another. For those in Christ, we must know as leaders, our strength comes from another. Our life comes from another. That's why this word abide, which I love to talk about, it is when we find life in the Lord. Everything, including our strength. And Paul goes on to talk about what he used to do. And he knows himself. He knows where he came from. He knows the very simple fact that he is a sinner who's been saved by grace through faith. It's very simple. But he goes on to say, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And people don't know necessarily what Paul means by this statement. Commentators, they don't all agree. It could mean really one of two things. One, Paul was a bad dude. He killed Christians before he became a Christian. That's what he could be saying. But what he also could be saying is that since God revealed himself to Paul, since he saw the holiness of God come down and interrupt and course correct his entire life, Paul could be saying, I have seen the holiness of God. I was blinded because of it. And because of how pure and clean the light of the world is, I know that I am the worst. It doesn't say I was the worst though. It says I am the foremost of sinners. 
And I think for you and me and even what Paul is trying to tell Timothy is we must know we're simply sinners who have been saved by grace through faith. We have to know ourselves. And I, what I love about what that Paul does here is he says all these different things that he used to do. And I think that's important to know where we came from. I, I, I call this self-awareness. Self-awareness is truly uh, one of the greatest traits of a leader. Self-awareness is one of the greatest traits of a leader. This allows leaders to understand, hey, I'm simply just a sinner that's received grace from a God who is gracious and loving. And this, this self-awareness, this allows us to lead other people. It, it, I think when we think of leadership, we think of strong people that are strong-willed and independent and loud. But Paul is saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm the worst. I've, I've, I've done the worst. I am the worst compared to the God who is so gracious. And I think that allows us, you and me, to lead with a limp that makes us human. Lead with a limp. Know yourself. If you were going into ministry, people, people want to meet with me and they ask about ministry. They go, what would you do if I were to go into ministry? I'd say, hey, I'd know the three ways that Satan wants to eat your lunch. They're like, what? What are the three ways that Satan would attack you and, and would, would make you fall into some sort of trap, some sort of sin, some sort of anything? What are the three ways that Satan would just lead you to destruction so that you couldn't be a minister of the gospel? And that isn't just the advice I'd give to somebody going into ministry. I'd venture to say that all of you are meant to be spiritual leaders. So I want you to know, you have to know yourself, what are the ways that you were led to destruction? What are your tendencies? You have to know yourself. You have to have a self-awareness. I think it's one of the greatest traits of a leader. I don't know if you ever read the, the book, The Screwtape Letters. But it's an incredible book and, and a cool exercise that I would encourage you to do is consider writing your own screw tape letter if you have no idea what that means pretty much just write a letter as if you are writing to the demon that is following you around. Sounds kind of creepy in summary, but just trust me, it's a good exercise. Like write a letter, like what are the thoughts? Dear Dale's demon, try to make Dale think that every day is about himself. Dear Dale's demon, try to make him think that the whole goal is for him to fill seats as if Justin Timberlake was doing a concert. No. Lies, lies, lies. Pride. It's the number one thing that lead me to destruction. Dear Dale's demon, start, start Dale's eyes wandering. Lead him to destruction. Have him hashtag chase and not... Not pay attention. You got to know yourself. Create boundaries. Be quick to confess. Make sure you have a community that knows where you would turn in your worst and darkest days. How do leaders constantly course correct? First, they have to know the goal. They have to know where they're going. Second is you have to know yourself. 
know the ways, the things that are going to keep you from achieving the goal. What are the things within you that are going to keep you from achieving the goal? And the last thing, verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to, who Satan handed him over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First, you have to know the goal. Second, you have to know yourself. And third, I want you to know you have to know it's war. You have to know it's war. For those that are following Jesus, you have two problems. You have an enemy, the devil. And two, you have opponents who don't want you to succeed with your goal of love. And yet you're still supposed to love them. That's tough. Loving your enemy, loving your opponent. You have to know that it is war. Because any goal worth achieving always comes with enemies worth fighting. You have to make war. And it even shows us why we should make war. Those that, that reject this, this good warfare and this faith and the goal, those that reject this have made a shipwreck of their faith. Destruction comes to those who swerve from the truth, who teach falsely and turn away from God's way, word, will, design. Destruction, shipwreck of the faith. I love that imagery. What Paul is telling Timothy and what they're talking about are two people that have been removed from leadership and removed from the church. I want to pause briefly and I want to ask you a question or I want to just point something out to you, I should say. And it's this, some of you are not in church. You're like, ah, it's not for me. I'd rather do other things on weekends. I don't want to be in a community group or a life group or a discipleship group or whatever kind of group they call these things these days, wherever you go to church. You're like, no, 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 that's not really for me. I want you to know that what Paul is describing to Timothy, them being removed from leadership, being handed over to Satan, it is really a description of being removed from the body of Christ. And so they have to be removed because they're false teachers. They've shipwrecked their faith. And so they have to be removed to preserve the health of the body. But what I want you to know is that you possibly have left the church or you possibly have made your own shipwreck of the faith, not because you've been removed because of unsound doctrine, but because you just don't care. You just don't care. And so I just want you to know that these false teachers that are being removed in order to preserve the health are very much (laughs) sorry I got distracted it's war of course I get distracted the one moment I'm talking about it being a war
have an enemy who wants to distract us from the love that has been shown and given to us from the creator of the universe. So leaders constantly course correct. They do this by knowing the goal, love, and going to and being a part of a body, a church that teaches sound doctrine. You have to know yourself. You have to be involved in community and be authentic. You have to know it's war and make a commitment. There's no days off in the kingdom of God. So today, I just want to invite you to course correct. Where are we falling short? Is it laziness? Is it impurity? Is it gossip? Is it discontentment? Is it just the fact that you aren't loving anyone? You aren't achieving the goal. And I'd venture to say that you and I and all of us in this room should deny daily. Daily course correct. Because if you're anything like me, you have a tendency to wake up start in the wrong direction. Live for yourself. So how do leaders constantly course correct? They know the goal, they know the self, their self, and they know it's war. When I returned to Baylor, the first person I sat back down with when I came back to work for Vertical was Dr. Jackson. And I said, thank you so much for being gracious enough to correct me. Thank you. I am so sorry. So sorry for the way I misled. Like a plane. I whiffed because I was off in my degrees, in my direction. Because I didn't know the goal. I didn't know myself. And I didn't know that it was a war. Leaders constantly course correct. And I'd even venture to say in closing that the entire Bible is course corrections. Have you ever thought of this before? The beginning of time, you have creation. God creates everything. We sang about it. We praise the name of, of what God has done. And then we came into the scene and we screwed it up. Adam and Eve, they sin. What happens? They're naked. God provides a course correction. He covers their nakedness. He covers their nakedness. Then what goes on to happen? The the world becomes evil. And so God, in order to course correct it, he he sends a flood and he preserves his servant Noah. He's like, I can't, there's too much evil. I gotta, we gotta redo this whole thing. And then what happens after Noah's boat lands, all the people get evil again. Then they start to build a tower for themselves in order to make a name for themselves. What does God do to course correct at the Tower of Babel? He scatters them. He gives them different languages and he sends them all these different places. And the the story goes on and on and on. And and then we have Abraham and Isaac. Isaac is supposed to be uh, this this part of the seed and the covenant of Abraham. He's going to be the provider uh, of, of the people of Israel. Everything is supposed to come out of the line of Isaac because of father Abraham. And But God tells Abraham, he's like, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And as they're walking up the mountain, Isaac turns to Abraham and he's like, where's the sacrifice? And what does Abraham say? God will provide. They get to the top of the mountain. 
Abraham ties his son Isaac up. He's about to kill him as God had commanded him to do. And what happens? Swerve, course correction. God provides just as Abraham said he would. Course correction. What are all the prophets written for? To course correct the people of Israel that have have their mouths and their lips praise God, but their hearts are far from it. That's what the prophets are doing. The prophets are all there to point you back to to the heart of the matter, which is faith in God. it's, It's a course correction, every prophet. Think about every one of Paul's letters. It's to churches, it's to people. They're all, he's just like, hey, watch out. Y'all, don't mess this up. Don't do this. And here's a few things of what I've learned. I'm in chains. Course correct. It's all worth it. Course correct, I promise. That's what what Paul is writing to all these different people. And then what, what else? Let's think about the John the Baptist who comes just before Jesus. What is he? He's the man who prepares the way. He prepares straight paths. Course correction for the people. He's preparing the way for the ultimate course correction, which is the person of Jesus Christ, who was God, who made him, who became flesh, who dwelled among us. He lived perfectly and he died on a cross for you and for me so that we could go from death to life. The ultimate course correction. Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection. Talk about a course correction. Dude was dead. But he defeated death and defeated sin. And ultimately, one day he will return and he will make all things new. And it will be the greatest course correction there ever was. have a God who course corrects. That's why he's a shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd, just constantly whacking us with his stick or gently guiding us with his stick. This is who our God is. We have a God who is a gracious, constant course corrector. And so I'd venture to say for you and for me as leaders, we must constantly course correct reattach ourselves to the person of life, the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bring to mind course corrections for our lives. In this time of response, would you bring to mind things that that only your spirit would, would bring to mind? Would you, would you help us? Would you show us that you love us in spite of the ways that we're, we've fallen short? Would you help us? Help us understand that you could even use Paul, one of the greatest enemies of the faith, to become one of the greatest servants of the world. Lord, you can use anyone. So help us, help us in this moment to know that we're not too far from your love and we're not too bad. There's nothing we've done that you don't love us in spite of. Lord, help us to realize in this moment, help us get more of a glimpse of the love that you've shown us through your son, Jesus, who came to the earth to provide the most ultimate course correction for all of us. 
help us to live in freedom and in life that you have shown us in, in the person of Christ. Lord, we pray all this in your son Jesus' name.